talked about detecting if a vulnerability is present. We talked about detecting if it's been exploited, but also about detecting if you're under attack as well. All right, so that's where uh, things like a web application firewall that sits out on the edge has signatures built into it to see, hey, is someone trying to exploit my application from out there? Right, it can det- it can block it, right? Block it in line so it doesn't even hit your network. Well, welcome back to Cloud Talk. I'm your host, Jeff Deverter. Now, as you probably figured out, today is all about cybersecurity and specifically the Log4j vulnerability, which has been wreaking havoc with the world for way too long. Now, I hope you've been enjoying getting these Cloud Talk Live episodes that we produce live on uh, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, and on YouTube every Tuesday and Thursday at 8.30 Central. Obviously, you've seen the audio from those events filling into the Cloud Talk feed. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've also picked up on the fact that those are conversations, conversations I'd love for you to be a part of. So feel free to join us over on any of those platforms, 8.30 Central Time every Tuesday and Thursday. All right, with that, let's get into this week's episode of Cloud Talk. The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. Now, one of the things that a software developer has to do as part of creating their code is to create ways to trace what actually occurred. And that way, if any debugging has to happen, if uh, they need to go back and, and try to just you know, recreate the past of what occurred, you need to have a way to you know, log what actually occurred inside of the application. Now, in Java development, that one tool for doing that, that is an open source-based tool, it's owned by the uh, Apache Federation, is, the, is this little tool called Log4j. It's open source. Anybody can use it. And it's used in everything from, you know, fancy business applications all the way down to Minecraft. Well, on December 10th, and a vulnerability kind of showed up in, well, the world is, hasn't been the same since, unfortunately. And that's the subject of our conversation today. It goes back into the cybersecurity world where we unpack the Log4j vulnerability that occurred. And I'll help do that today. I've got a couple of guests with me. First of all, we've got John Moran. Now, John is a security solutions architect. John and I have known each other for a good many years here at Rackspace. But we're also joined by Brandon Jaster. And and, uh, and Brandon is a senior manager in our cybersecurity world. Specifically, his team is all about threat and vulnerability analysis. Gentlemen, welcome to Cloud Talk. Great to be here. So, Brandon, it was you actually, as I was asking the question before, and I said, when, when did this thing first show up? And you said, oh, that data seared in my memory. Well, you know, what did you? What did? What was your first thought that went through your brain when when this vulnerability sh- showed up in the wild? Yeah. So on December tenth was the first day that the first of what became many vulnerabilities was uh, made public. It was published on December the tenth, um, and our initial response to that was kind of follow it as we would any any vulnerability. This one was a little bit unique uh, because it was a zero day. So it was already being exploited in the wild. There was already 
um, some traffic going across the internet that was trying to look for systems that were vulnerable to it and see if they could uh, take advantage of the vulnerability. So uh, we had a, a really quick response to, to this one and uh, as did most security vendors and companies really had to get on top of this one quickly uh, to make sure that if there were people looking for it that uh, our security teams could beat the bad guys to it. Well, and I like the way that you define it as, of course, it being a zero day. And the way you said that was it was already in existence and was already being exploited. We just finally made it public. Well, before we go too much farther, maybe we ought to define a little bit about what the vulnerability actually is and what the impact could be. John, maybe you can help us a little bit with that. Sure. Just high level. Basically, it's, it's pretty easy to perform, but basically adversaries will submit a specially crafted packet somewhere along the packet header there um, to a vulnerable system. And depending on how that system is configured, the attacker is able to instruct that system to download and subsequently execute a malicious payload. It's really that simple. Now, I love the way you describe that because to a security professional, that makes perfect sense. And I can even decode most of that. But, you know, as I watch some videos online about it, it you, know, of us, you talk about putting in, you know, the specifically crafted syntax of a phrase and it would, it would create this situation. And it can be as simple as you go to a login page for a system that is that that has the vulnerability. And in the username, you just you, you put that string in there. You can put anything into the password phrase and off it goes. And then you can make it do anything. Now, what are some of the things that people were doing with it? What have we seen them doing? Uh, so a couple of things are done, but also you mentioned the login page, right? But then you also, when we started this, mentioned Minecraft. It could be as easy as just typing in a Minecraft chat and boom, it goes back to the server and, and does some some weird stuff. That's right, because um, remember, it's it's as the system logs anything that occurred. So as anything exactly. happens, if it's triggered to log it, it's impacted. Right, so some of the things that, that the industry has seen is basically um, scanning, right? So you got... You got an infected host. Now, what else is behind this that I can potentially compromise? Uh, it's installing backdoors on systems to exfil sensitive data via HTTP or even DNS. Uh, we've seen some uh, remote access trojans being installed, some different malwares. Coin miners always trying to hide their way and gain financially there. Um, system uh, Denial of system uh, process crashers. And we've seen those coming from, from around the world as well. Brandon, what have you seen as you've you've helped customers talk through this? Yeah, I, I think it's everything that John mentioned. Um, I think coin miners are particularly timely right now, um, just with the way that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have been. Um, really, any avenue for attackers to get access to any kind of server that they can and then install a coin miner on it, uh, they're really taking advantage of that. Um, and I, I think one thing to, to highlight with this vulnerability is really uh, the fact that this is a remote code execution. Right. So what that means is that attackers, to what John mentioned, they can send a specially crafted packet. And then uh, the, as the, that packet is making its way to the destination server, uh, that, that uh, string that gets passed uh, will be processed by uh, a server that will eventually log what's going on. And it's that logging functionality and where that log happens uh, is where the exploit gets, uh, gets executed. And then whichever server does the processing of the logs, uh, there's a way for that to call back out to the attacker infrastructure. And that's when you have the, the connection with the infrastructure. And that's once there's that connection into uh, the malicious attacker's infrastructure, that's where you can 
uh, kind of uh, do whatever you want to do with a server. Well, Brandon, you're bringing up uh, very subtly, and I'm going to be really pedantic about it. You're being, uh, you're making the point that wherever that log service runs, because you know if you're not a software developer and you think about, well, here's some code running on a computer. Well, okay, it runs on the computer. Well, generally not. Generally, what's happening is these are, the, especially if it's large infrastructure or really big application, it takes a lot of infrastructure to run the stuff. So if we go back to a banking application, sort of an example where we've got that login page up at the front. Well, there's many tiers of, of, of um, servers behind that one. And generally, they're not allowed to talk to the internet. They can talk to the host computer. Um, but when, when that malicious software runs back on that login computer, now it's back in your back net. Now it's back inside of what was once thought to be a trusted area, which is part of what makes this really scary because to John's point, it's a remote code, has ability to do remote code execution. So what are they doing? Well, quite frankly, they're doing anything they want to do. And that's what, as we talked about this in preparation, you guys talked about it. One of the things that's so scary is the fact that that uh, that it's it, it can run anything. And this is such a common piece of software, of logging software that everybody uses. Yeah. And I, I think the scariest part about this is that now it's not just the things that are exposed to the internet that you need to be worried about mm-hmm. in terms of security. It's also everything in your back internet or within your your internal uh, networks. So it really is important to make sure that you have layers of defense in place to make sure that that the things that you thought weren't exposed are also secure. Well, I'm glad we're calling this out because we started this by talking about, oh, it's Minecraft server and maybe they're going to do some, some mining for coin. Um, and that doesn't sound scary. And I think we're kind of belittling or demeaning actually the impact of this. I was watching a um, an interview with... Um, Oh, uh, with Jane Easterly, who is uh, lead cyber for the U.S. and uh, yeah, for cyber security and infrastructure security director Jane Easterly. Now, when she talks about this security flaw, she talks about it as the most serious that she's seen in her multi-decade career. And, and, and for three primary reasons. One, the ubiquity of the tool. Two, the simplicity of how to run it. And three, the complexity of what the attacker can actually do with it. It's pretty pretty impressive stuff. So so John, as a um, you know security architect who helps companies think through you know how to um, go about deploying their applications in a secure way, you know now they're back in the back net. Which when you're architecting things, it's supposed to be a safe place. It should be right, um, but I mean, of course, that communication needs to be open, right? Because business has to run and systems have to talk to each other. So, um, as we mentioned before, or you know, we need to get to is just back to the foundation, right? Yeah. So, how do we segment our workloads properly so that they're only doing what they're exactly supposed to do? And if they're not, hey, alert log it, inform somebody about this so we can go investigate and then make things better. Well, now we're talking about how do we, how do we now use this as a learning moment to go back and say, well, you know, what can, what can we do for our environments? But let's, so we'll talk about that a little bit and then we'll talk about what companies can do to remediate uh, these issues. Cause they kind of are the same thing, aren't they? I mean, when we go back to this, the ultimate issue is when you talk about segmentation, this is this, I'm leading the witness, John, is, is, is this hard and is it challenging and is it unique learning that you've never heard before? No, it is a very challenging scenario, right? To make sure that the things are, are doing what they're supposed to do and nothing else. And then of course, as, as systems are updated, processes are updated and patched, right? That can change a little bit. So it's an iterative process that keeps evolving. 
It's not easy. Yeah. You know, we did, uh, of course, a ton of cyber related activities through October of last year, which was Cybersecurity Awareness Month here in the U.S. And um, and what we kept coming back to and in all the news articles that I read about it, what I keep coming back to is 70 to 80 percent of all exploited companies. It's the ultimate issue was the blocking and tackling activity. It was poor segmentation. It was poor patching. It was poor, you know, all the stuff that, the basic stuff that you've got to do. It just it just wasn't done. Uh, and that can be the hard stuff sometimes, right? Right, Brandon? I mean, getting into the nitty gritty. I mean, you deal with customers on a day-to-day basis. And that can be a hard conversation when they come in looking for a silver bullet fix or they come in thinking, hey, what's the, you know, what, what's that whiz-bang tool that's going to make my life better? And you're going to tell them, get off Windows 2008. Yeah, I think it can be really attractive a lot of times to try and look for the newest, coolest thing that can help you solve all of your problems. Uh, But really, at the end of the day, making sure you understand what you have on your network uh, and making sure you're patching and making good logs and uh, taking backups, all those things are some of the basic uh, blocking and tackling that really you need to make sure that you do those really well. And if you can do those really well, then all of those really advanced tools become much more valuable. Right. They just don't raise a hand and go, um, before I can tell you anything fancy, you know, how about applying a security patch that you know, has been available for the past year and a half that you haven't applied? Yep. Yeah. I think most security tools, if you look at them as a way to audit existing IT tools and processes, uh, then I think that's probably the, the healthiest approach to make sure that they aren't telling you, these are the things that, um, you, these are the only things that you need to be actioning on. I think if IT teams can uh, make proactive patching processes, and then you can rely on your vulnerability scanners to go through and say, these are the things that your processes might have missed, go uh, adjust the current processes or tools or things like that. Uh, based on the data that we're finding. And I love going back and talking about the basics as blocking and tackling because it creates a great metaphor for us to dig into a little. And that is, you know, as you the, you think about a, uh, you know, football game, somebody's, you, you've got to, you can have the most talented wide receiver who can do the most amazing things, but if you don't block and you don't tackle, nothing's going to happen. Those are the basic things that continue to have to happen. And you have to be really good at those things. In fact, those are the basics. They're repetitive, but you have to do them right and you have to do them every single time. It's not like you get to a level that's like, okay, we're done with that now. In fact, when when you think about it now back out in the cyber world, if only we had a level playing field that we could only always be engineering towards. But, you know, John, you are constantly having to come up with new strategies on things because the the cyber landscape continues to change and the threat just gets bigger and they get more creative, right? That's true. That's true. Um, But we still want to kind of get back to where, right, we're tackling stuff at the edge, right, before it enters your perimeter, right? What can we see? What can we clean out there? And then we bring it down to your local network. What can we do with some protection services at the firewall, those kind of layers? And then right down at the host layer, if something's happening at the host, dropping malware, rat, like you need to have protections in place for that as well. That's so true. So let's let's think about um, how companies can um, pay attention to their own networks now and just to look for what can they do to make sure that they're not impacted. Now, of course, everybody's scanning and, and doing stuff. You know, Brandon, how are you guys uh, over on the team t- uh, coaching customers through this process? Yeah, so I, I try to look at this through the lens of prevention, detection and response. Uh, you can also look at it in terms of governance controls. Uh, as well. But I think for the the technical details of the vulnerability, 
uh, prevention, detection, and response is really the areas that, that I'm focusing in on. Uh, to prevent, really, at the end of the day, the best way to mitigate log4j is to patch to the latest version. Uh, as of right now, I think the version is 2.17.1. Uh, that's subject to change in the future as, as new vulnerabilities. It was get. a little bumpy uh, as they started creating some yep. patches, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, so the, the initial, it was, so this was actually multiple different vulnerabilities. Uh, the first one was found on December 10th, and I believe the latest one was found on December 28th. Uh, and there's a total of five that I know of right oh now um, with different levels of criticality to patch. Um, so all, with all of them, you can fix all of them by just upgrading the version of log4j. Uh, I realize that's also easier said than done in a lot of cases because there are dependencies and other things that you need to take into account. Um, you want to make sure that your, your applications aren't going to break if you go through and, and patch this. Um, but it is definitely the, the most surefire way to make sure that you won't get exploited by log4j. Yeah. Right, and then to kind of add on to that, like like Brandon was saying, you got to you got to keep patching, scanning, again, make sure you're up to date. Because from my understanding, too, one of those patches introduced a whole new vulnerability as well. Isn't that convenient? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and that sort of drives us towards that road of you mentioned, Brandon, the the complexity um, because this is you go back to um, you know the example of why this is so bad the ubiquity of the tool they companies may not know everywhere that it's running like we think about patching a windows or a linux server that's easy because i can point at the server or i can on a diagram and say go patch that one server but this is part of the application stack that you could have multiple applications running on that one uh, on that one server itself and they may be running different versions across all of it yeah, I think any company that is running a Java application, um, it would be worth looking into whether they are running um, uh, the latest version of Log4j. And if you're if you're running a Java application, you're probably using Log4j uh, if you're if you're keeping track of any kind of logs. Um, so I think that's to to your point, the ubiquity of the problem. That's a large part of what's driving it. Well, let's move to your second step. You talk about uh, prevention, then there's detection. So one, I guess when we think about this one, detection is let me go scan and see if this app's out there any anywhere. But just finding the app isn't the bad thing. Of course, it's has it been exploited. So how do we how do we how do we detect for that? Is it does normal tools, Brandon? Yeah, so you bring up an interesting point, kind of splitting up detection into detecting the presence of the vulnerability and then uh, whether there has been exploitation mm -hmm. as, as two forms of detection. So for detecting the vulnerability itself, uh, I think this is, it's kind of a tricky thing uh, because to what we mentioned earlier, it's not necessarily just the server that's exposed that's going to be the one vulnerable. It's all of the things in the back end yeah. um, that might be processing the logs uh, that you need to be on the lookout for. So um, definitely have your developers look through their Java applications uh, to see if they are using a vulnerable version. Uh, there are tools like software composition analysis that's specifically targeted to look for what third-party libraries are your applications using that you want to um, check for in terms of versions and vulnerabilities. Uh, your OS vulnerability scanners are also a tool that you should be relying on, um, not just for this vulnerability, but across the board. Uh, and there are lots of other sort of custom tools out there, uh, POCs that you're, if you have penetration testers or a red team in your organization, that they might be able to use a little bit more proactively um, to throw some of those malicious packets at 
your applications and then listen for any callbacks. Mm. Mm. Um, so that that's all on the the detecting the presence of the vulnerability side. Uh, if you want to look for detecting exploitation on your network, uh, I think that's where it starts to get a little bit trickier. Hmm. Um, definitely rely on any host-based intrusion prevention tools. Um, if you have endpoint detection response, antivirus, or file integrity monitoring, all of those should be able to detect some weird things going on. Uh, so definitely listen to those. Uh, and then also at the network layer, if you have... Um, alerting policies or prevention policies um, for your uh, network IDS or IPS, you definitely want to listen to those as well. I think just to add in one more there too, right? We talked about detecting if the vulnerability is present. We talked about detecting if it's been exploited, yep. but also about detecting if you're under attack as well, <sighs> right? So that's where uh, things like a web application firewall that sits out on the edge, has signatures built into it to see, hey, is someone trying to exploit my application from out there, right? It can, it can block it, right? Block it in line so it doesn't even hit your network. And then at the, the next-gen firewalls that Palo Alto has had some signatures in place for quite some time now to detect this is happening. And then also, uh, like as Brandon mentioned, the host layer, right? Some kind of intrusion protection that says, hey, is this being exploited? And then, oh, say something is, right? And that's when we move on to that that next layer of exploitation see them as being exploited. Yeah. So it, it's, it's super interesting as you, you know, we talk about segmenting this out. One is the tool there. The second is, is there an issue? And, and part of it, I, I love the, one of the, the, the tools and that is, or, or techniques is a better way to put it that, uh, you know, just let's, let's just start putting the code out there into a bunch of our applications, that string that activates the thing. And then, watch and see if anything bad happens. You know, it's sort of that, you know, what's inside the closed box. Let's just rattle it around a little bit and see if we can figure it out. Yeah. I think that's when the the value of a red team or penetration mm -hmm. testers can really show themselves to the organization uh, mm -hmm. to kind of help with some of these defensive actions. So sort of putting on your attacker hat for a minute, uh, thinking like a bad guy, trying to attack a network and then telling the good guys what to do to go fix it and make it better. Uh, I think that's a really important thing that you need to be doing. Well, yeah, telling them what they should do and then, hey, did you see it? All right, that's another great question because if not, we got some things to work on as well. That's right. Well, and it brings up a really interesting, you know, way to think about this. And that is, you know, as we think about the red team example, is the opportunity that Log4j represents for us. And that is, don't just go and fix the problem, but how do we use this as a learning opportunity for the next one? Because we know it's coming. I don't know what it is, but we know it's coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's really important every time there's uh, a major security incident impacting your organization, or if you hear about one uh, impacting another organization, to sit down with your security team and, and talk through what are the, what, what's the high level summary, what's going on with it, make sure everyone's on the same page. Uh, what are some of the, the challenges that might affect our organization? What are some of the problems on our network that we know of? Uh, and then let's put together some action items. What are some things based on uh, a previous incident or some activity going on out in the world uh, to make a change to our network to make sure that it doesn't affect us in the future? I think that's a really good sort of threat focused 
view of security that that every organization can benefit from. Yeah, and if we think about it, sort of, we're going to pivot a little, and I'll use a strange, I'll call it organic example. Um, I like to garden, so I think it's fun to be able to get out and and get my hands in the dirt, and it is therapy for me. But you know what? Stuff doesn't grow well if the conditions aren't right for for it. I've got to have good dirt. The dirt has to have good nutrients in it. There's got to be the right amount of sun. There's got to be the right amount of water. Any too much or too little of any of these things. And I don't get the tomatoes that I was looking for. So as we think about this now in relation to cybersecurity, what are the conditions like in, 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 uh, in, in a customer's environment? Are the conditions ripe for the bad guys to be able to plant their seeds, to be able to you know, get something into your environment to exfil- exfiltrate it? So as we think about that now, gentlemen, what do we, what, what's the playbook? How do we send these, 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 these nice listeners of ours back into their businesses to, to just look at the conditions? What are, what are the conditions that make Uh, for a happy place for a hacker to come into a business. I think John, you said it earlier, improper segmentation is is a good starting is a first place to go look. Right. So that, and that's kind of a little bit even further down the chain to me, a lot of times uh, vulnerable corporations are those that are going through acquisitions, right? Cause that's public information, mm-hmm. right? There's maybe a little bit of chaos going on within the businesses, right? So what do we have, right? A big company just bought this smaller company and do they know what they have exactly? Have they, have they tested it? Right. Um, are there resources available to secure it? Um, those are usually at top of the list for, for attackers. It's a really good yeah, point. Yeah. I, 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 Whenever you look at kind of the, uh, some people call it the cybersecurity kill chain. It's the the list of all of the different actions that need to be um, taken in order for an attack to be successful. Okay. If you can focus on uh, knocking out just one step. So, for example, at the beginning, you have to be able to gather some information on the organization, uh, whether that's open source, like John mentioned, or if you're uh, doing some scans to figure out what's actually exposed. If you can limit how much information is out there, it'll make all of the next steps that much more difficult because then attackers kind of have to guess and uh, be a little bit noisier as far as uh, some of their testing and then your security teams can pick up on it quicker. Uh, and same thing with uh, if you can make sure all of your systems are patched, segmentation uh, between different systems, if you do as much of that as possible, it's just going to make it that much harder for attackers to be successful. Well, as we, we talked in preparation for this, you know, you, you talked about this and it early, I hadn't thought about it in this context before, but this is really the hard stuff. This is the expensive stuff in a lot of cases because there are so many companies out there. And I joked before, but they were still running a, an antiquated version of Windows, let's say, running an application that was developed by a team of developers who haven't crossed the threshold of that business in a decade. You know, upgrading a system like that is not trivial and it's certainly not inexpensive. Yeah, I think that's a, a really challenging calculation to make a lot of times of is it worth it to spend months or a year to go through and try to update this really old application. Um, and to your analogy earlier with the with gardening, right? If you if you're able to eliminate all of the uh, the sun for a plant, the plant's not going to grow. Right. So it's kind of the same thing with with an attack where if you're able to keep track of all of your assets and keep them patched, it's going to be really hard for an attacker to get in. Um, so I, I think even though it is really expensive for organizations to go through and, and upgrade some of these applications, it, it can be more expensive for uh, to, to go through recovery steps 
and send emails to customers. And, and if your organization's compromised, just the loss in, in trust a lot of times can be really damaging to an organization. Um, so how you separate the, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt uh, from the, the actual tangible uh, metrics that you're, you're able to uh, demonstrate within your organization. That's, that's kind of the, the trickiest part of all of this. Yeah. All right. So um, not everybody who listens to this works inside of IT and can directly impact the direction of solving for some of this, especially with Log4j uh, inside of their organization. So, so let's see if we can equip the listeners with some questions that they can go back to their own IT shops just to get a gut feel of how are we faring with this whole situation? What, what, what are some questions we could go back with? John, I'll start with you. Sure. <laughs> I mean, super, super high level. What do you know what's on your network? <laughs> what assets are there? What kind of assets are they? And then diving deeper, like, are they patched? Are they updated? Are they out of date? Like, you know, creating plans of action based on that, that inventory list. It's amazing how many companies don't have that inventory. In fact, you know, we've been in the business of helping companies move out of wherever they are into a Rackspace data center, out into any of the hyperscale clouds. And of course, the first question is, they say, I want to move application XYZ. Well, what, what, what actually runs? Where does that ap- application actually run? What's running in your network? What firewalls are behind? But how is that all segmented? What's the IP scheme? You know, in a lot of cases, it's crickets. It becomes a multi, uh, well, a long discovery process for us to teach them what they're actually running. How about other examples? Yeah. What are some other questions that, that we can go back and ask the ask of IT? Yeah, I think for me, uh, I, I totally agree. Asking how many assets are on your network. And uh, if you say there's a thousand assets on our network, um, and then ask how confident we are in our asset inventory. If, if we have a low degree of confidence that it is exactly a thousand, um, then I, I think that's it's probably worth making sure that we're we're much more confident in that number. Uh, and then once you once you are confident, like okay, we have we have we actually do have one thousand devices on our network, then you can start figuring out okay, how many of them do we have our antivirus software installed on? How many are we doing vulnerability scans of? How many are we collecting logs from? Uh, and that that percentage of we have this many with our security tools on them of a thousand total on, on our network, uh, I think that can lead to some really good metrics for almost any organization. So kind of the the what gets measured gets managed kind of thing, right? If you can measure those things, you'll be in a great place. And a lot of cases, it goes back to you know. It, but to be be fair, nobody knows 100% of everything, and, and we should realize mm-hmm. that. But mm-hmm. as long as we can uh, know what it is at a starting block, we can start to remediate it. We can start to deal with those issues. We have to own it. It can we, it, it, we can blame the last guy if the last guy was even us yesterday. We just have to take ownership of it today and show a process then for 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 solving for that. But in, in these first couple of examples, one, John says, let's make sure we know everything that's there. And then, you know, Brandon, you come back and say, okay, now how many specific things and what's the status of them in between? But John, to your, one of the things you said at the very beginning of this conversation was, you know, as it, as it relates to segmentation, who's supposed to be talking to who? Do we have a confidence in that? Exactly. And that kind of, uh, you know, it goes back a little bit to knowing what's on your network, right? Not just, not just the servers, not just the websites, not just the databases, right? But the laptops, the work top, the, the workstations, the mobile phones, right? How do they all intercommunicate with each other to get work done? Because it's not all just done on, on heavy, heavy built workloads or servers anymore. 
Um, but yeah, just understanding how they're supposed to communicate, when they're supposed to communicate, what does that communication look like, right? Kind of building some kind of pattern so that your 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 SOC team, your analysts, your security team go 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 look at the deviations from that to know, hey, this is this is weird. Let's look into this. Yeah, that's huge. And doesn't that, isn't that a big part, I think, with as this added complexity, especially over the past couple of years that everybody scampered home to go work and use any device possible to, to do their job? You know, that's a huge driver for, for this whole zero trust, you know, uh, approach to security as opposed to saying, because I think we're sort of uh, fooling ourselves if we say we can segment our life away and trust everybody in their segment. I mean, that's the whole premise of a zero trust approach is the fact that we can't and we don't necessarily know. So let's let's take a different approach. Yeah. And I, one thing that I'll mention too related to uh, so keeping track of everything that's on our network is important. Uh, and John, to what you mentioned, it, it might not just be uh, the things in our data centers or it might not just be our workstations. Uh, but also with organizations moving to the cloud, I think it, it actually makes the problem a little bit easier because we can track through what are we paying for? No. What are the services that we're consuming? And we can actually get a, a much easier inventory in some cases um, to be able to, to track what are the, the servers that we need to be concerned about. Brandon, that's a huge point because, you know, these data centers can be black holes. I mean, John used to manage data centers, used black holes of stuff that have been running for forever. But uh, that but when it's you, know, you get a bill for it every month, at least you have a starting block of every single device or every single storage element that exists out there that you're responsible for paying for. Now you can use that as that starting list to go, you know, build from who talks to who, you know, who, who does what. Yeah, exactly. M money talks and it definitely has the capability of getting people's attention. Um, and even like our cloud, our major cloud providers out there have those kind of threshold triggers built into their systems that you can alert you. Yeah. Right? If you're, if you're, if, if spend goes up 50% one month, Hey, that uh, alert me before it gets to hundred percent, you know, stuff like that. Safeguards. That's right. You know, it's one of those benefits that you get from the cloud. Even if you're just doing lift and shift, you, you know, what's actually out there. You ride on their security infrastructure. I mean, you, I've, I've talked about examples in the past on this program of, of where, you know, attacks will go, a distributed denial of service attack goes against a specific customer in a specific cloud in a specific region. And you know what? The customer never knew because the infrastructure in that cloud was designed to be able to, to, uh, to, to absorb that kind of impact and not let the customer really ever feel it. So lots of ways to approach this, but the best, I think, if we we're going to you know, give examples of, of what to do next, start your scans. Do the basics. Do you know what's running on your network? Uh, make sure IT is full and transparent and what's what's going on there as much as they're allowed to be in the, in your org. Uh, and and open dialogue. Uh, this this is a is an issue that will exist for the coming months or years this, because of the ubiquity and the persistence of this this application. It's going to be challenging. So. Um, and I know that, Brandon, these are words you don't want to hear, but you already know because it's your business. And that's the, the large part of what you and your team have to deal with. Yeah, I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's This isn't going to be a, a give your development teams one week to patch everything and then this whole thing will be behind you. Um, sometimes you'll you'll need to make decisions that will have a longer time horizon. And I think with, with the ubiquity of Log4j, um, it, it's going to be a much more um, larger scale problem, I think, than, um, than just one quick project across your organization, then you're done. 
So be be understanding of your development teams. Uh, listen to them if if you need compensating controls in place rather than patching the vulnerability, whether that's uh, removing the the vulnerable class within Log4j or increasing your segmentation and installing some security tools, then that might be worth it. Um, so it, it's it's definitely an open dialogue. Uh, there's not one way to fix this problem that will apply to every organization. There's ideal recommendations, uh, but then there are there are backups that you might need to consider as well. Right. All right. And as Brandon mentioned too, it's kind of not like a, a one and done, right? Don't just do this once a month, once a quarter, once a year for some audit, right? As we proved that the what there were four vulnerabilities released in a month time span, right? So this needs to be a continual editor process that has a team back behind it that's always looking at the results and then comes up with a plan of action to, to go ahead and take on those results as they come in. Well, and use this as an opportunity just to get better because it's here. You might as well just not deal with the pain, but use it as an opportunity to be prepared to deal with this one as well as whatever the next one is, even if it's in the same application, like you point out, John, <laughs> of, of having to deal with it five times inside of a few weeks. Well, everyone, um, I hope that this has been a helpful episode for you as you think about how to deal with cybersecurity challenges inside of your organizations. Brandon and John, always a pleasure to have you guys on. Thanks so much for taking the time. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. You know, cybersecurity, it's just one of those things you can't you can't ignore anymore. You know, security used to be so much more passive. It used to be so much more uh, reactive, but you have got to have a strong cyber game. And so I really encourage everyone to get into the business of what's happening in cyber inside of your organization. All right, and a huge thanks to John and Brandon for being on the episode. And a huge thank you out to AppDynamics. Really are thankful for their participation in Rackspace's Solve program. That's our thought leadership program. If you want to learn more about that, just head over to rackspace.com slash solve. Nothing to be sold there, folks. Just head on over and get some great information. Lots of this podcast episodes you can find there, but also you can find great content that we've authored there. Now, I mentioned earlier in the program when we got started that we do those live episodes, Cloud Talk Live, every Tuesday and Thursday at 8.30 Central Time. And I hope that you'll come join us there. And if you haven't subscribed yet, this is a great time to do it. Just head on over to wherever you find podcasts and click subscribe. And of course, if you like these episodes, love to have one of those five-star reviews. All right, everyone, have a great day. Until next time, I'm Jeff DeVerter, your host here at Cloud Talk.